The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. How to dream, cowboys. You want to take another shot of that now? Welcome to the HBO Boys podcast. We are recapping and reviewing the HBO sci-fi horror series Lovecraft Country. This is our recap and review for season one, episode two, Whitey's on the Moon, directed by Daniel Sackheim and Telepay by Misha Green, the same writer as the first episode. Different director, same writer. Yeah, that's James. I'm Ryan. Right. We have, we have names. Those are our names, and Misha Green is the creator and showrunner of Lovecraft Country, so perhaps she'll be writing a good amount of it. And Daniel Sackheim was the director for this one he's directed just i think everything like true detective the americans lie to me house the leftovers one of my favorite shows ozark which he almost won an emmy for by almost i mean he got beat by someone who directed the crown but like you know close enough like you said game of thrones the walking dead longmire chicago fire Judging Amy, Kingpin, and the X-Files, and like a million other things. Law and Order. You know, in amount. He's been doing it in a while. He directed the X-Files movie. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. But anyway, so, you know, they had a veteran do this one. And in terms of the book, the book is like eight chapters. And they're all kind of short stories. And the first episode of the show was kind of the first half of the first chapter. The second is, the second episode, that is, the second part of the first chapter. So we don't really dive into any other parts of the book. We don't know how the other chapters or how the other episodes are going to be formatted. But they basically just split up the first chapter into two episodes. So we get the climax of said chapter one. This, well, I thought this was a really good, so much happened in this episode, and the ending was so conclusive, it just kind of felt like the second and third act of a movie. Right. And that's because every chapter of the book that has been transferred to television has a beginning, middle, and end. They're actual short stories that Mm -hmm. weave in and out of each other. So I think every other episode of this TV show is going to kind of feel like a season finale. Before we get into our recap, just a reminder to our lovely listeners that if you like the show, you can, for an a dollar a month, support us on Patreon. Uh, we're at patreon.com slash the HBO Boys, B-O-I-Z, and you will get two bonus episodes per month as well as a backlog of bonus episodes that we've already got going, and access to our premium Discord chat, where you can talk to Ryan and I and other big fans, and you can get your name shouted out at the end of each show, which is always fun. 
Ryan speed reads through the names as fast as he can. I try my absolute best. I put up a trailer reaction for the new HBO show that I believe is coming out next week, executive produced by Ridley Scott, named Raised by Wolves. I put up a trailer reaction as a bonus piece of content a video up on the Patreon week or two ago. And uh, we're going to be doing two podcasts at once starting next week. What? Lovecraft Country and Raised by Wolves. So first time we'll ever do that. Let's see if we go insane. Right, which means uh, we should probably uh, record a bonus episode this week so that we're not doing three next week. Uh, might be nah, I logistically guess, I guess. good sense, yeah. <laughs> I guess. I got, I got one in the can. We'll see how it goes. Episode two, Whitey's on the Moon, which the entire time I was watching the episode, I was like, when are we going to get to the Whitey's on the Moon? But it does become relevant at the very end of the episode. <laughs> we don't actually see the moon. We don't actually see it being populated by white people. The episode begins with Uncle George and Letty are just loving the mansion. They've got personal libraries, big rooms with king-size beds and fancy bespoke clothes. And they're, they're really into it. But uh, Tick is pretty wary and suspicious. All of George's favorite books are in his room. A bunch of clothes that Letty can wear, they're all her size, are in her room. And when they all meet up, Tick is like, I mean, that doesn't seem like a coincidence now, does it? The guy who you assume is the butler, uh, and for now it's fine to just assume that, tells them that Tick's dad is not in the mansion because he went to Boston with the family lawyer and Mrs. Braithwaite. He gives them a backstory of the mansion's first owner, Titus Braithwaite, who was a rich shipping magnate, and when he says shipping, Letty remarks, like, that means slavery. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. He built the home as both a summer retreat and as a meeting lodge for his fellow social club members. But unfortunately, the original mansion burned up in a fire during the vernal equinox and killed Titus and a bunch of people and it had to be rebuilt. At this point, George, Letty, and Tick remark to each other that they are not being fooled. And they believe that that Tick's father is definitely not in Boston, and they're lying to them. They go to lunch. George and Letty confess that they have completely forgotten the events of the monster attack in the last episode. And Tick's like, well, you guys don't remember that we got attacked by transforming monsters, and I had to shoot a man in the face? So I just have to deal with this on my own? Yeah, he says, I shot the sheriff. And Letty's like, you did what? Why would you do that? But I did not shoot the deputy. I made that joke last time. <laughs> oh, shit. I will look yeah. forward to that joke again next uh, podcast. Oh, that would be positive. And then George is like, that's good. Good stuff, guys. We're being watched. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> they go to the garage and they find George's car, Woody, which is in the same shape that it was before the monster attack, which is like that the back window has been shot out, but more or less it's it's drivable, which is strange because it was totally wrecked. In the monster attack? Yeah, that'll make no sense. And then out of nowhere, the blonde man who looks like a Skarsgård and also whose name is William shows up out of nowhere, like out of thin air. And he's like, where are you guys going? And it's established at some point that he is not the butler. He's Christina Braithwaite, who's the daughter Braithwaite, her very good friend. He's like, yeah, I'm her friend. I walk around her mansion giving people guided tours and acting like a butler, because I'm that kind of friend, I guess. He, I'm a straight-up, like, ghostly figure who gives advice and is also just like, 
making sure that you guys can never leave. I mean, just imagine being so deep into the friend zone that your female friend is having you, like, give tours around to to the guy she probably really likes. Who, Tick? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I got the feeling that there was some tension between her and Tick. There was some tension. We will learn that they're actually family. Distant, distant relatives. That never stopped most of the Game of Thrones cast, so. They head on down to the local village of Ardham. George and Letty are kind of talking behind Tick's back, like they think he's crazy. Yeah. And he points out all the weird things. Okay, so maybe you don't remember the monsters, fine, but how about the car and the clothes? I do like this. This is this is a trope that they kind of stomped on where two characters are just talking about a third one who is right in front of them about th- the actual character. Be like, I think he's going crazy. And then any other TV show, that ca- character will just be keep walking and be like, what are you guys talking about? They're like, nothing. But in this one, he's like, I hear you. I'm right here. Right. You guys are talking at full volume and I'm only a couple <laughs> yards ahead of you. I do not have shell shock. I do not have PTSD. I'm fine. And how dare you talk about me like I'm not here. And then I was like, I mean, I, you, you're you not a hundo tick. You got something wrong with you. But I agree that they're, they're uh, he's just like, you don't remember the monsters. You have something wrong with you. They hear the same high-pitched whistle which called off the monsters at the end of episode one. And they follow it to the creepy hick village sheriff who I don't know if she gets a name, this character. If she did, I don't know it. And honestly, I don't want to know it. She has two dogs. Two snarling guard dogs. Yeah, she's talking about black bears at some point because they're the ones uh, that she remarks is around in the woods. She's talking about black bears, but not really. She's just yeah, she's being just racist. being ob- obliquely racist. Right. And... And so they leave her once she does that. But George and Tick theorize that this big stone tower she's standing in front of probably has a dungeon-like basement, and maybe that's where they're keeping Tick's father, Montrose. As they're walking away in the woods, and it's getting dark, which I don't understand. Like, Tick knows what happened last night in the dark in the woods. You'd think he'd be like, we should go faster. Anyway, while they're walking in the near-dark woods... George kind of stops and he's like, oh my god, I just remembered a point of exposition I should tell you guys. Your mother, Tick, once told me that your great-great-great-great-grandmother was a slave named Anna and she escaped her master's house after a fire. Now, do you think that's a coincidence? Right, and it's like, I'm just now remembering this in the woods and and not when I f- first heard the relevant story. And then they get fucking attacked by monsters. They get attacked by the same monsters, but then Christina Braithwaite and the sheriff show up and they kind of they rescue them. They stop the monsters from attacking. And as, as soon as the monsters are gone, George and Letty forget again. They're like, "Oh, why are there big holes in the ground? And why am I covered in dirt and monster saliva?" Monster goo. Yeah, that's very annoying. Uh, prior to that, I believe it's also mentioned that, quote-unquote, Titus being kind to his slaves, which was a, a line that William said earlier, apparently implies that he impregnated them and possibly impregnated Tick's great-to-the-fifth, I think, grandmother. So, Tick is part of the fam. The sheriff takes George and Letty away. And Christina brings Tick up to the laboratory of the mansion. 
where a old man is having his liver removed while he's awake and screaming in agony. That old man is Samuel Braithwaite. Braithwaite? Anyway, the Braithwaite. And Christina is there pretending she's bored. And I'm at this point thinking, you know, is it the family line specifically who don't get affected by the whistle that George and Letty keep being affected by? Because if Tick is part of the actual family, then the whistle wouldn't wipe his brain clean? Question mark? In his room, George takes a book off of his shelf, triggering a secret passage leading out to his room, in which he finds a library with a book entitled The Order of the Ancient Dawn. I will tell you this, and this is for sure. If I ever come across a large sum of money, I am going to definitely make a library that is there specifically to just have false doors and paths to other places in the house. I want a house that is a labyrinth, all coming from taking a book out of a bookshelf. It's just, it doesn't have to be fiction anymore, James. It needs to be my reality. Back up in the lab, Samuel stands up and he starts talking to Tick and Christine about the, the book of Genesis and this painting he has of it. And he has Christine take Tick away and she's like, I don't want to see him again until the ceremony at dawn. This whole scene felt like a father with his, his two kids, son and yeah. daughter. Yeah. Anyway, the painting that he was talking about, he says, is by Joseph Tannhauser. In Lovecraft Country, Tannhauser is like a contemporary of Titus Brathwaite, an ancestor of Tick and the other Brathwaites who they all share in common. Oh, this scene implies that an experiment done by the Brathwaites triggered a fire that engulfed the lodge and everybody inside, perhaps the same fire that Tick's great-to-the-fifth-grandmother ran away from. But this painting is actually by a guy named John Miles, and it's titled The Naming of the Animals, which I'm not sure is interesting, but it is true. I love Samuel's plan here. He's like, yeah, so the guy uh, more powerful than me tried to do this and killed everyone. But now me, knowing less of what I'm doing, I'll, I'll do it again. It'll work this time. Yeah, a bit of hubris. They mentioned that biblical literalism... That's a, a phrase they use. They're like, that's dumb, and I'd like you to know that. We don't think we don't think everything in the Bible is real, but also magic is real. I'm going to be dope at magic. I'm going to use you, and I'm going to go through a door, and I'm going to go to the Garden of Eden because I'm magic. Leading him back to his room, Christina offers to help Tick in exchange for his trust and friendship. And this is the kind of scene where it's like, like what, what exactly do you want from this guy, Christine? You, I, they, they try to, you know... Be his girlfriend? Like, what's happening here? Will they, won't they? He agrees to that, but first he wants her to return Letty and George's memories, which, like, she somehow does without moving. Goddamn magic. This causes Letty and George to immediately start screaming from their rooms. Hilarious. That was actually pretty funny. I liked that a lot. <laughs> Tick tries to go to them, but he smashes into a force field in front of his door, which I'm guessing is just Christina's psychic powers. Yeah, they're, they're wizard people. What are you gonna do? Christina goes to the village where a cow gives birth to a baby horror. This was like a standalone scene and very strange, but I guess it just Weird. explains where the horrors are coming from. Right. They're growing them in cows. Christina goes, reaches deep inside of a cow's asshole, pulls out a growing monster, and this apparently isn't in the books. People who read the books are all like, why did she have to take a monster out of a butthole? But 
whatever, dude. Whatever you got to do, Christina. Right. So what? They they grow the baby monster inside the cow's stomach, and then they pull the monster out of the cow's butt, and it seems like the cow dies in the process. This kills the cow. I think this kills the cow. I assume it's a not actual butt. The butt was a joke thing. I assume it's, you know, like a, a cow's actual reproductive organs, and it's a lady cow, but I think it's funnier if the monsters are in cow buttholes. Letty's trying to escape her room, but it's the door is locked. When Tick arrives, and they talk about the events of last night with the monsters, and he recalls the Bible verse, which Letty quoted before she ran out into the night. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for, you know, yada, yada, yada. Jesus loves you. Yes, I do. So on and so forth. And then... They get real close, and they kiss, and I was angry. I was like, this feels so unearned, it's crazy. And then the camera goes out of the room, goes around the house, and shows that Tick is on the other side of the house still. And I was like, oh, thank God. Well, two two things. One, oh, thank God. That was stupid and unearned, and I don't think that kiss should have happened. And two, uh, okay, then who's with Letty right now? Right, who's, like, you know... Sexually assaulting Letty by pretending to be Tick. Yeah, we cut to the real Tick who's locked in his room where he, out of nowhere, gets attacked by a female Korean soldier named Jia. And she's like dual wielding guns, but he's able to wrestle them out of her hands. Right before the fight sequence, Tick is doing Morse code through the wall to George and he Morse codes the word wizards, which is hilarious. And then it cuts back to Tick and Letty getting hot and heavy. And then Letty's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, that's a, this is a bit much. While Tick is on the other side, getting straight up stabbed by the woman in his room. And Letty's like, okay, let's, let's cut it out, you know. And then this Tick is like, no, thank you. I have a snake penis. Yeah, he whips out his biting viper dick, which she then runs from. Meanwhile... George is getting off pretty easy. He's just having a vision of, like, his dearly departed first love. And they share a dance. And then he's like, yeah, this is nice, but I'm pretty sure you are not a real... Like, you're not a ghost or anything. This is just a vision. And she fades away. Right. But last episode, there was some George calling his wife and, like, some good last words kind of thing. And then he meets his first love, and there were some good last words again. And I was like, oh boy, George, your clock is ticking. In his room, Tick is forced to kill this Korean soldier, Jia, and after doing so is, like, left very, very deeply disturbed. So my feeling is that, like, he killed this person in the past, and then he just had to kill her again, which was very traumatic. And then George realizes at the same time that he is still alone, And we zoom out and realize that Christina, plus all of Samuel's guests, are watching them through magic doors. And they're just like entertainment to these fucking people. Yeah, this is how they get their rocks off. They're standing in tuxedos, drinking martinis like, look at these people being terrified. Ha ha ha. And I'm assuming they're racist and not referring to them as people because they're assholes. But Christina doesn't look into like she's having a good time. She looks she looks like yeah, you guys are a bunch of dicks. She looks focused. 
Christina's boy toy shows up and invites them to dinner, and it's like, yeah, I just had to kill a woman with my bare hands. I'm not super hungry. I think I'm just going to go to bed. Right. Tick is no longer stabbed, but he is not doing well. Letty looks at Tick, and she's like, I don't know about I don't know about you, bro. And George is like, listen, guys, we can't let them win, okay? I just had a nice dance with a long lost love. I'm sure whatever happened to you guys was yeah, probably equally as, as good, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and cool and collected you. So I think we're all just gonna be okay. Let's not let them win, okay? The boys get to go to a black tie fancy dinner, but Letty can't go because she's a woman. Goddamn sexism. At dinner, Samuel offers the club members tiny slices of his own liver. Weird. For dinner. I wonder if they gave them Chianti as well. He says that this is his way of sharing his power. Okay. I don't want it still. Do you have like steak or chicken? Lamb even. I'll go for something uh, gamey. I'm I'm on a diet if you have shrimp. It's very lean. Yeah, low calories. the The leanest protein. Please. After his speech, George stands up and begins quoting the bylaws from the Order of the Golden Dawn book, which he read earlier. Feels so weird when he stands up and just starts talking. Like, oh, this is his plan? According to George, the bylaws of the Order dictate that any male descendants of Titus Braithwaite are given automatic membership and, in fact, leadership positions in the Order. And this must apply to Tick, since Titus Braithwaite was his great, 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 great grandfather and then tick stands up and he orders everybody out of the room and demands that samuel release his father yeah george is like due to the roberts rule of order tick is in charge (laughs) i gotcha and everybody does leave and then samuel's like oh i don't give a shit yeah samuel tells tick that like yes you do have some power in this group which you got from your great great grandfather But actually, you know, the only thing keeping me from doing what you say is propriety. So at any point, I could just choose not to. And I choose to in the very near future. And also, it's his great, 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 great grandmother, James. How dare you? Well, and also his great, 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 great grandfather. That's how that's how grandparents work. I don't agree. Together, they go to break Montrose out of the dungeon. Letty knocks out the sheriff on the way. This was weird. When they get to the dungeon... And then Montrose isn't there, but Montrose is, like, climbing out of the ground. What, what happened there? I was I was a little confused. He dug a Shawshank Redemption hole in the wall, has been for a while, and as they were about to save him, he struck up his plan, tunneled out, and then he comes out of the ground with his handcuffs still on, and Tick, Letty, and George are there, like, we're here to save you. And he's like, why? I just saved myself. Okay, so he, he was even a step ahead of them, executing his own rescue. Right, he's wily. Together they all try to flee in Christina's silver Cadillac, but they are followed by another car and they slam into a force field very violently. Yeah, they don't have magic on their side. As they stumble out of the wreck, Samuel shoots Letty in the abdomen, killing her. He threatens Tick and says that he has to return to the mansion. And, you know, just to underscore his point, he also shoots George in the abdomen too. I wrote, Letty is going to die. She dies. Tick now has to choose between his father and uncle. One is shot. That is sad. They're taken back to the mansion. Christina explains that Samuel intends to use Tick's magic blood to open a gateway to the Garden of Eden, which will help him unlock the secret to human immortality. Ugh, so cliche. 
but only if Tick willingly participates to offer up himself as a sacrifice. And if he agrees to do so, Samuel will heal Letty and George. And so to make good on the first half of that promise, Tick watches as Letty is totally revived and her wound goes away. Christina confronts Tick. She is mad that sexism is a part of a cult. She's like, I don't know why the line is in the sand there. Like, I could work as hard as I ever could, and I'll never get one of these rings that I'm putting on your finger right now. And, you know, maybe we should do something about this, because I'm Christina, okay? In the book, I'm Caleb, but right now I'm Christina, and my dad's a piece of shit. So maybe you should do something about this, because I can't even be inside. This is horseshit. George and Montrose have a little bit of a reunion. George tells him that he regrets not having been closer to Montrose and not having been closer to Tick as they were growing up. George also drops the bomb that Tick may not actually be Montrose's true son, which Montrose immediately snaps at him and tells him, and never speak of it again. We agreed to take that to our graves. So something mysterious going on there. Yeah. And as this was happening, I was like, this is just some more goodbye shit. Bye, George. Bye. You know, I, I was so jaded from we watched Perry Mason before this. And there were two characters in that show that it felt like they were teasing the entire time that those two characters were going to die. We were so sure at least one of them was going to die. And then both characters made it through. So now I come to this show where I'm getting some death rattles, right? And you're like, oh, well, George is getting everything that needs to happen narratively for him to have a untimely goodbye is occurring. But Perry Mason has taught me, like, perhaps not. And Game of Thrones is in the back of my head being like, but maybe. But maybe, dude. In the atrium of the mansion, Samuel is chanting in some unknown language as three kind of electric pylons shoot blue lightning into Tick's body, which covers one of his arm in shadows and opens a golden portal in front of him through which Tick sees a vision of a pregnant woman in maid's clothing, assumably his ancestor who lived with Titus Braithwaite. Perhaps they might have had to construct additional pylons. There are probably not enough pylons. Toosies is right. Tick sees his great-to-the-fifth-grandmother. Throughout this entire scene, a song is playing over it that is loud, purposely, and kind of overtaking the entire scene. And I was kind of sad it was playing. I think it was a poor choice to have a loud song over. It was like a, what's that show? It was like a Peaky Blinders scene, but with worse music. I don't know. I thought it was a just a terrible choice. I think the scene would have been better with no music whatsoever. Yeah, well, this it was like it was like a poem kind of, right? I, I wasn't familiar with this Whitey's on the Moon piece. Right, and this is the second episode in a row where a poem is used but this is not a montage this is like a, a a huge scene a climactic scene in this smaller story within a bigger story and it's a poem that goes into a song and perhaps it's just because i didn't like the song all that much but at the same time i don't know i was disappointed i in a I, again i was just we were just watching perry mason not one musical misstep in that show that show was perfect for music and the first episode of this show was great too with its music but this episode was not a lot of missteps at least okay. two large ones in my opinion 
with the music. It should it should have just been a silent scene. It would have been better just completely silent. Right. I, I did find it a little bit distracting. Although I did I I kind of liked the the piece, but I, I was kind of focusing more on that than what was happening on screen at times. Yeah. The mansion begins to shake and Tick screams as a wave of energy shoots from his body, turning everyone around him to stones. So already Samuel has fucked it up just as bad as his ancestor Titus did. Yeah, it turns out he's not as powerful. And it went poorly and it's like he looked Medusa straight in the eyeballs and now he is stone and disintegrates like an idiot. Uh, I have a question for you, James, about that specifically. Mm-hmm. We met Samuel like five seconds ago and now he's dead. Did that seem satisfying to you? This is all moving very quickly for me. Uh, we're about to get to the end of the episode where I'm going to say, like, and the story is over. Right. Okay, keep going. <laughs> the woman from the vision in the portal seems to have been pulled into our reality, or at least it looks that way. And she leads Tick out from the atrium and to the exit of the mansion where he makes it out just in time before it collapses. Right. It's like Mario Kart where you're racing your own shadow. No, I'd say it was more like the end of Ocarina of Time when you're following Zelda out of the collapsing castle. Oh my god. Ugh. Shut up. <laughs> Outside, he finds Letty, and they embrace, and she takes him to Woody, where Montrose and George are waiting, but George has already passed away, and they all weep for Uncle George as the show ends. Okay. I'm glad George is dead. Hey. They s- well, listen. When there aren't real consequences, stories, I think, are worse, but- Book readers are like, okay, well, this didn't happen in the book. In the book, George gets shot and then resurrected. But it seems like they applied that story to Letty, and maybe he will be brought back. But like you said, and like I think we should discuss right now, holy shit, what a breakneck pace that end went in. And it wasn't satisfying. It felt not satisfying at all to me. Like, I I don't know. The first episode of this show was so, so good. And the first, like, 10 or 15 minutes of this episode was good. But it felt like the last 40 minutes just, like, they needed to wrap up a story that, like, I feel like could have benefited from being elaborated upon, not shortened and then wrapped up in two seconds. Well, if this was just, like, a two-parter special or whatever, like a two-parter episode of the Twilight Zone or something, I'd be pretty disappointed with the ending. But I guess it's not the ultimate ending. Uh, They did kind of set it up. You know, apparently this is more or less what happened when Titus Braithwaite tried to do the same thing and failed. And so when they explained that, you know, he tried to do an experiment and killed everyone and Samuel's going to try it again, I'm like, oh, you're going to kill everyone. But my complaint is that the main characters didn't really do they were just kind of on the on for the ride of the events of this stuff like things just kept happening to them and they weren't really agents of moving their own story forward like right. tick happened to survive the ending through luck because or christina. because or oh i thought it was because samuel just fucked up no it's because christina in the book in the book it's because christina who is caleb in the book gives tick a spell or like a incantation to say out loud that messes up the process. But it could also be either way. Either Samuel messed up because he's bad at it, or Tick did the right thing. But if he did do the right thing, it's because Christina told him to. Or I also thought a possibility could be like his ancestor was also possessed some kind of magic, and the portal kind of reached out to her through time, and she did something to save Tick. I'm not sure. Listen, Maybe it's all incredibly possible. Yeah. And it could, and hopefully it's explained in the future. But the next on Lovecraft Country looks like they're going to dive straight into chapter two, where Letty's sister buys a house 
and horrors ensue because it's a Lovecraft thing. So I don't know. I don't. I don't know how this whole right, so we're, going we're, to be. we're getting an anthology, then. right? Okay. Yes, but it's it's more of an anthology in the books, and obviously, like in the books, the first and the last chapter kind of ensnare everything together and you're like oh my god it's all been one story the entire time so i assume it's what will happen in the tv show too and there's an episode episode six we get we have the titles all already it's called meet me in daegu which i assume must take place in south korea and maybe that's where we're gonna get tick's backstory yeah the number one reddit comment on this episode is I feel like I'm watching a season finale of a random show, which is indicative of just how it felt. It it was a rushed season finale after two hours of television. And I wonder if episode four, like I said, are we going to get a season finale feeling rushed piece of entertainment every other episode? I wonder. Because, you know, Black Mirror gets, you know, longer than an hour to do out their anthologies. They feel more satisfying but if, if they're just anthology episodes in an hour, might be a tiny bit rushed. But if it follows the pattern of episodes one and two of Lovecraft, that means episode three is going to be really good, right? It's a setup episode, the first half of a story. Uh, here's the thing the book readers are mad about. The cow scene is completely mm-hmm. added. Like, that didn't actually happen in the books for chapter one and they were like so you added a cow scene to see how the monsters are being made and that christina pulled a cow out of a cow's butthole that's great you you didn't put other things we liked in and you sped up everything else and got to the end but we just had to know that monsters come out of cow butts thanks right and you could have totally cut that scene out and it would have changed anything it's like they got to the end of the script and they're like, oh, well, we're, we're, we're at 58 pages instead of 60. Okay, well, have her give birth to a baby monster and have George walk out of his room to find a book instead of just finding the book in the room. It reminded me the monster cow scene of the first scene of House of Cards, where he who shall not be named playing Frank Underwood sets up his character perfectly, where a dog gets hit by a car And then rather than have that dog suffer, Frank Underwood has the foresight and fortitude to choke the dog to death. And you're like, oh, this guy is uh, one interesting fellow who don't take no shit and is willing to do anything. And and it sets up the whole rest of the show. It feels like they did that, but to a a one out of ten degree for Christina Brathwaite. With the cow scene, it just, it didn't accomplish what I think they were trying to accomplish. But I also think that I bet the next episode is awesome, right? Like I thought the first one was. And so I I wonder if this is going to be like a real up and down feeling of what, just what the show is going to feel like. And I also bet that a lot of people watched episode two and liked it. Yeah, I mean, I, I still liked it. I just, I didn't like it as much as the first one. Well, Andy Sachs, longtime listener Longtime writer in wrote us on Twitter. Hey guys, wanted to know your thoughts on the Braith White. Oh, I cannot say that fucking name, dude. Braith White family. You guys know more than me, but they felt very campy. Like I couldn't take them seriously as a threat. I also keep thinking that the White Butler man is Alexander Skarsgård from True Blood. Yes, this yeah, is yeah, I he read gives that. off real <laughs> vibes. <laughs> yes, Andy Sachs also points out zero dong still. Uh, if you don't know where dong watch twenty twenty right. is in yeah, full yeah. effect. Um, hashtag snakes are not dongs. Snakes are not dongs. That's a great hashtag. Hashtag snakes are not dongs. Please get that trending on Twitter. 
Also, Andy Sachs has theory that camera that Letitia took is cursed. That camera has been going off too many times for it not to mean something. Also, side note, damn, is every white person racist? That dog lady who I thought was Abby Jacobson for Broad City or Pensatucky from Orange is the New Black, interesting, was just so racist. The black bear comments was wild, and I was hoping she would be a nice village lady, but she wasn't. She was a racist dickbag. Right. So, so the far, the, the least racist white character is the the not butler. He's the only one who hasn't said something fucked up. Right. He seems cool. He's just there for the ride. I, I, I guess he's probably dead now. Oh, right. Well, yeah, probably. I mean, the he was house in the base. Exploded. He was folding Christina's laundry. She's like, she's got to like me after this. And then. Oh, the what a falling. simp. That simp <laughs> exploded in that fucking house. So, yeah, coming up next week is season one, episode three, Holy Ghost. Oh, my God. Which is part yeah. of that there. Catholic Trinity. The summary of which is hoping to mend her relationship with her sister Ruby. Letty turns a ramshackle Victorian on Chicago's north side into a boarding house. An endeavor that stokes neighborhood racism and awakens dormant spirits stuck in the house. So we we got, you know, again, something like the first episode where are you more scared of the monsters in the woods or the police officers? The point and conceit of the show being the police officers are scarier. The racism is scarier than the monsters that Lovecraft made up. Will the ghost in the house be scarier than the neighborhood racism? I bet not. Meanwhile, comma, Atticus remains burdened by a guilty conscience as George's wife, Hippolyta, presses him for the full story of what happened in Artem. Yeah. If I was her, I'd be like, the fuck? Yeah, so join us here next week when we recap and review that episode. And if you just listened, it means a lot to us. If you'd like to go the extra mile, follow us on social media. He's Twitter at Westworld Ryan. I'm at James Watches Men. You can also leave us any reviews on the relevant podcast apps. That would be nice. The biggest thing you could do, pass around the show by word of mouth. Let your friends know if you think they would like it. And you can also monetarily support the show, which will give you access to bonus content like uh, an extra episode, Discord chat with us, Ryan, shouting your name out at the end of every show. I'm going to do that right now. That's crazy. It's like you knew it was about to happen. Anyway... Breakout, Hardboiled, Greg, Nicole, Day 11, podcast, James, watch my dong. Mm, I watched, I'm watched, uh, 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 I got, I'm wearing a watch. Flawless. Nailed it. <laughs> Cliff Wilding, hello, underscore, yo, James, Christopher, atheism, unstoppable, Chris Wood, Brentkin, Day 11, Westworld, Cameron, Andreas, Craig, Bachman, John Durs, and Major Woody. Thank you for the money. Woo! So the problem is I always, like, you go to say the names, and then I go and, and I'm like, well, what's on my phone, right? Because <laughs> so it's going to take you a little while, and then I forget. <laughs> James, I have done a joke with James Watch My Dong, our Patreon subscriber, Johnny Vu. Very nice man. Okay. I've done a joke with that name for goddamn three months now. Oh, oh, oh you do the jokes? Uh, I thought I was the one who had to think of the joke. You're right. And don't get uppity with me about this, Okay. <laughs> I set you up and you knock them down. Except for you don't. You look at your phone and go, oh, fuck. Um, my dick? I don't know. Right. So join us next week. We're going to have an episode <laughs> of Lovecraft Country as well as the premiere of Raised by Wolves. And Holy also, shit. Sometime between now and then, uh, we are contractually obligated to come out with a bonus episode on the Patreon. The concept of which to be decided at a later date. Yeah, that's very true. And by the way, Raised by Wolves has a new trailer out. A lot of new information. People should go watch it and be interested in that show because we're about to do a show about it. A lot of information. Everyone's probably stopped listening by now, but 
I have in the works a campaign, a two-part, maybe two to three-hour campaign from the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game, which I am putting together to be played by me, Ryan, and and two other people, whoever we can get on the show, I assume, Sam and maybe Adam. Yeah, those people. I look forward to that. That sounds very neat. You sent me a text message about it. I read that text message, and I was like, those are all cool things that you just said. Also, yeah, uh, by the way, you said that most people aren't listening to the show anymore. The statistics would say that about 15% of the initial audience is listening to the show. The statistics always would also probably say, though, that, like... After the first three minutes, fifteen percent of the people drop off. They hate our show. They just watch the. They're, they want to hear Howdy Dream Cowboys, and then that is it. Right. They're like, I wonder what who who wrote and directed the episode. Instead of googling it, I'll listen to James and Ryan talk about it. Okay, good enough. Episode over. <laughs> okay, good. I'm now going to go listen to the oral history of the Office podcast, which, by the way, is fine. Uh, it's great. Anyway. And then you said that I was just thinking of a thing. I know what you're gonna say. What were you gonna? What was I gonna say? You're gonna say I love you, James. Fuck. You're so fucking right, dude. <laughs> you did it. I'm James, and I'm Ryan, and <laughs> this is the Westworld podcast. Oh wow, we switch a rude there. That comes at the beginning of the show. Never mind. Right. We never, we never had an exit. No, uh, we never no. did. Brian just goes, bye. Bye. That's very Trump <laughs> of you. Bye. Bye, honey. He's a loser. Wow. But the the song that is at the end of Lovecraft Country. The- oh, yeah. It's a banger. It is a bangerang, dude. Go to the rock. The rock's not going to hide you. I think that's how it goes. I got to hear it again. I don't recall at all. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.